Oh, camera on me, please. It's camera on me. There you go. Joshua is on it tonight. The Michael is back on Saturday Night Live. We're going live right now. We're already live right now. We are presented tonight to you by Raphael's tailoring. He fully outfitted me again today. I am sharply dressed, I would say, approved uh, by Raphael, 100%. Not as sharply dressed as Raphael himself. I cannot compete with his socks nor his shirts. They are out of the world. And he, every time I go into his tailor shop at 905 Tungsten Street, he surprises me with a new look. That's what he does. He's right across the Persian man, 905 Tungsten Street. You can call now, 476-0669, and book your appointment for your tailoring needs. Yes, for those cut from a different class. Hashtag. That's a good hashtag. Look that up. Find tailoring for men and women and everybody else. Follow him on social media right now. And he can help you with the busy, busy wedding season coming up. If you need anything to, did you check your tailored suit lately? Is it still fitting you? Is it, maybe you lost a lot of weight? You ran a lot, just like I do? Go check it out. Raphael can help you. Also, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by One Time Brew. One Time Brew is open tonight. They sure are. They have a beautiful lineup on those taps right there oh yes you can pick yourself up some merchandise as well but really you gotta pre-order the one and only first release ever for one time brew it's the bottled release you can click on pre-order the you can click on that yeah there you go there's the bottle put it, put it on the big screen there it is you can this is a bottled limited release imperial stout nine percent Hits the sweet spot on all the notes. You can get a t-shirt to show your support or get the two bottles. That's what I'm doing. One in the cellar. My beer cellar is way over there somewhere. And then one to try it all out. And then let's see how we can age this one. One time brew open now for you. Go and double down on that package. There you go. You can get all those bottles. Also, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by El Tres. El Tres is back. And tomorrow we got breakfast burritos at the Goods and Co. Market. Right? It's Poco Mas. One more. El Trace, however, is open right now. Go there now. Tell them I sent you. El Trace is open. You can make a reservation right now through Open Table right on their homepage at www.eltrace.ca. So easy and so convenient. Or you just walk in. You will find a spot at El Trace for you. Anything goes. The menu is there as well. And follow them on social media. It's Instagram and Facebook. That's where it's at. Also, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Afloat. Manage stress and reduce the pain. We all been parents, right? I've been parents since uh, seven years now. I need to definitely make more time for myself sometimes. I go floating once a month and I bought myself a membership and it resets me and I do am due to go again. It reduces the stress, eases tension, and it manages chronic pain. It's all proven science. It's salt water in a floating tank. You can leave the tank open, you can close it, light on, light off. The body temperature is matching the water. So it's like you are floating in space. It's absolutely wonderful. Go now, they have introduction rates. You can book online right at www.affordwellness.floathelm.com slash booking or call 767-3529. Tracy might answer the phone, yes. And then tomorrow there's only two spots left. So better book right now or go next week. Anything goes. All right, let's go. This episode tonight, very, very special, very, very honored. We are going to the live stream here. 229 is the episode tonight. And with us here, please, everybody give it up to Tamara Quay. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> it's an honor. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's absolutely amazing. You know, you I, I met you outside. It feels good. We finally made this happen. You here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Busy, busy day today? Yes. Um, I mean, as busy as it can be with a five-year-old. Oh. He's a busy boy. Right. Yep. So I did a little working from home and... Um, we did a nice time outside with our dog Shira. We live off of Loon Lake, so Ooh. yes, that, that site there is a lot of medicine for myself and my family, and that's mm -hmm. why we moved here almost a year this May. We've been there, oh. and um, 
I'm very grateful to be where I am. Yes. That's like half an hour out of town or something? Yeah, half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Not bad at all. Mm -hmm. I swam once in Loon Lake. Somebody had a camp there and invited us over. It Uh, is a camp area. Like, I think I'm one of the... Well, I'm... um, west side of loon lake okay so on the west side where i live i'm one of the nine permanent residents Mm. yes so there's not very many of us wow yes and and then the rest are like campers so during the summer it's quite busy Mm -hmm. but i love it it's big though right the lake is pretty big Uh, it's not that big it's i mean it's a it's a i mean dog lake is much bigger it's true yeah dog lake supposedly gets really big waves oh really if there's a storm coming you gotta be careful like you need at least an 18 footer like the boat size oh wow yeah otherwise and then that can get rough too i heard a story from one of my people that i i worked used to work at the Valhalla, and tom tom was a salesperson for a company and he had a camp out there and one day he told us a story where he was out there and the storm came in real quick you gotta get off that water it's crazy but dark lake is huge mm-hmm. beautiful too mm-hmm. yeah you do fishing um i'm slowly getting back into it i grew up my father used to take me fishing quite often and same with my um birth mom so i'm slowly getting back into it i'm especially living there so i did buy some fishing rods i got a canoe i'm saving up to buy an actual boat yeah 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 so there's ways i've been slowly um getting us the tools for us to harvest from the land that's beautiful Mm -hmm. like it's almost like reconnecting absolutely it's a reconnecting and reclaiming and restoring that relationship Mm -hmm. so and i say that because um it was about 11 years i didn't live here in my homelands i i moved yeah to pursue education and so then once i finished my undergrad i came back oh wow did you miss it i did i did but the disconnect was greatly needed for my healing journey and in a very unique way when you think about it then i realized um to truly deepen not just my work that i want to do but deepen my sense of self and my healing as well i knew i had to go back to my ancestral land so i'm here from here robinson superior treaty and um it's it's been an an amazing journey since I returned in, since 2015. Oh, wow. That's a decade gone, right? 11 years is a little bit more than that. Yeah, because I, um, yeah, I moved out of my house in 2005. So, yeah, I came back in late 2015. Mm-hmm. So, 10 years, I guess it's close to the 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did those 10 years feel? Quick or slow? Quick. Uh-huh. I was in my early 20 in my 20s yeah i know <laughs> being careless carefree mm. but also at the same time um realizing a lot of things yes and doing a lot of work that i um did not anticipate to do so when i say it's interesting when we think about our journey when we're they say you're like you know you're young or late teens and your young 20s your early 20s are the years that you truly kind of get to discover yourself mm-hmm well, for me, um, that was it, but it was very fractured due to a history of colonial violence in my family. Me okay. being one of the first in my family to not go to a residential school or a boarding school here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also having two family members that are some of the known numbers of missing and murdered. And so there's been this huge disruption in our woman line about what it means to be an indigenous woman, an Ojibwe woman. Yes, you are a very strong voice and you, you know, you, you carry this message with you and you are out here and now and you are helping us to be more aware and, you know, you share, this is very, this is a very delicate story, right? There's a, there's a lot of emotions and you, you are taking it out mm-hmm. and you letting us like I'm from Germany, I moved in 2006. Uh, in the way the German culture is, indigenous people are looked up very highly. Like they are, like you, you know, they have a connect. This is just how I grew up. They are connected to the nature, and you know, they make the right decisions and very trustworthy. Like those those kind of traits you you associate when I when I grew up, right? And then I came over here, and it was. It was different because it's like there is a preconception 
Mm. I don't know if that's the right word, but it, it like it wasn't like I thought it would be. And here you are tonight and telling your story. Mm -hmm. and, and thank you for sharing that because it, it is, um, you're right, this is this preconception. There is this um, narrative that shadows over us, like a cloud, like a rain cloud, you know, mm -hmm. and it's us trying to pull in that light and counter those narratives. Like this is who we really are. These are our truths. This is the hidden history that, uh, colonial history that's very, Uh, traumatic, violent, and oppressive that's happened for so many generations, right? Yeah. That has been greatly been hidden by our governments, right? And I, and I, and I say that in a way like n not to point fingers or anything. And I, and I want to be very clear when, when I do share stories and stuff, um, I'm, I never blame, you know, I have friends who are allies who are non-Indigenous and I never blame them. Mm -hmm. But I do believe it is the responsibilities of non-Indigenous people to take on learning, learning the accurate histories, mm -hmm. learning the accurate representation. What what has happened here today? You know, right. what has what is the history of Robinson Superior? What is the history of the of the closest First Nation community that you mm -hmm. reside by? Yeah. And what is your relationship to them? Right. And then to deepen that, what is your relationship to the land that you are currently residing on? True. Because believe it or not, we're on ancestral territories right now where we are today, right? Wow. And we have to remember that for us to critically learn and understand truth or reconciliation, for us to truly understand truth, we also have to understand that relationship with the land because the land is so deeply weaved into our language and our culture and identity and our ways of knowing. It's The lands are sites of intelligence for us and medicine. Mm. Is the land like everything almost? Because it's like, I know the number four is big, right? The directions and then certain elements of nature, but the, but the land is everything then. You had another story too, where you said something with the turtle and the earth and the planet. Is there a reference to that too, in the way? It's like... So there's teachings about Turtle Island. Yeah, that's, that's what I, saw, yes, I read today. Yes, so when we, when we talk about Uh, Turtle Island, that's all of Canada and the USA, like North America as a whole. So if you actually ah. look up the map, it actually like our continents Joshua, look like mm -hmm. um, the shape of a turtle. Even if you just even type in Turtle Island, okay. some images will show you um, the continents together. It's really unique. Oh, way back. Is that way back or no, over um, there? Look, even go to Cody Two Bears, maybe right over there on the Twitter, and there's a heart where you see in our Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite images, even right there. Like, yeah. But if you want to really see see what um, makes up the continents. So, yeah, I, um, I love sharing it because oh. it shows how we are all connected at the end of the day okay. and how we have, it's called our creation story, right? Mm-hmm. And the creation story is different from nation to nation across our whole, across Turtle Island, but even across our own country of Canada, we all have different variations of Turtle Island, oh. right? And and the and, and different variations of what make the creation story, what brought our, our people here today. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to share that piece because I can only share the teachings that I have been given and shared, and I don't speak for all um, Anishinaabek people. I speak to what I have been shared, to my ceremonies I have attended, and how those teachings and knowledges have been um, informing my ways of being and knowing and doing, right? And for me to achieve the good life, which is also known Mino de Bazawin, right? Because when the first man was lowered from the sky and he was put on the turtle's back, he was given like the responsibility of making a choice and then the choice of responsibility. So not only just making that choice, but then following through with that choice. Mm. So you're setting your intentions and that's the same teachings we get about living the good life. It's not something that you can just achieve overnight to restore our relationships with the land, restore our understanding of language or restore our cultural identity, our dodam, which is our clans, but it's an act of an intentionally every day walking towards the good life mm. and that good life is very self-determined so when people do ask me well how do i how do i walk that path and i say that's for you to learn because it's like a healing journey mm -hmm. it's not linear interesting right has that something to do with the spirit name then 
Yes. So my spirit name is Shining Eagle Woman. Mm -hmm. And I actually never got it until I returned here. Yes. I got it in 2016 and I got it with my baby boy who also got his spirit name at the same time. Very special. Yes. And so um, that name is very, it's very intimate for me. And I share that because for over a decade, I was doing this work province-wide, working with women, youth, and girls, sharing stories of surviving various forms of violence, yes, and honoring those who are taken by violence um, in correlation to missing and murdered, right? Very and hard work. It, it, it is, but so honoring in a way for us to collectively share and connect. And that whole journey, that decade before I got my name i was always gifted either like copper eagle earrings or um constantly like eagle feathers or eagle like uh, chokers like something always connected to the eagle and it always was like in a golden or like a copper stance yeah they're very similar yes and i never understood and the majority of these gifts were given by our knowledge keepers or elders or seers right and, and, and me now looking back, they obviously knew what my spirit name was, but also probably knew I was not ready to learn it and what that responsibility came with that name, right? Mm-hmm. Especially tied to my clan. So I am Bear Clan, the Dodem, right? And we're medicine people, we're helpers, right? And so then with my spirit name, I learned like I have a golden uh, like energy, like a golden color with me, okay. like the eye of the eagle, that golden color. Ooh. And so I shine and they said like an eagle, um, when you're flying up, you can see from afar who needs help or where needs help. Mm-hmm. And that's where you go to, oh. right? And so to bring that light and that love and that awareness. And so um, I really um, was very grateful for all of those women, those aunties that adopted me, um, especially when I was in uh, Southern Ontario pursuing my education, mm-hmm. who nurtured me in a way because in my early 20s, I was not healthy. There was... Okay. Um, heavy drinking, there was substance misuse, uh, promiscuity because of me trying to figure out who am I and the various forms of trauma that I survived in my childhood. And, you know, my parents did the best that they could, the tools that that were given to them. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I just want to say like, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my dad. Um, and I wouldn't have that cultural relationship it wasn't for my birth mom who just passed away july last year mm, i'm so sorry and so thank you and so it's one of those things where you um it's important to acknowledge the resiliency and experiences that we have and i don't share it to get sympathy i don't share it i share it because this is a common theme in a lot of of our youth and indigenous women's lives right okay and and i say that as me being first generation not to go to these schools so when I say when our early 20s, we're trying to figure out who we are, we also have this very heavy, large, invisible backpack of trauma, yes. intergenerational trauma yes. that is so stemmed in colonialism and government and systemic and racism and discriminatory systems, right? And so um, it's not the average person who's trying to discover themselves. There's true. a lot more to it. And I think that um, a lot of the time there's this, I'm not going to say the word shame, but misunderstanding. And they kind of go like, get over it, like figure it out. What Mm. do you mean? But they don't recognize that whole disruption in our family lines. I feel like people, you know, like let's let's do a different example. Like uh, let's say uh, mental health, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody has a mental health problem, if you don't have that problem, you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And because you, if you never experience it, there's no way you can understand that person. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. And so, in my early twenties, um, I was faced with a lot of that, and I was some most most of the time one of the very few um, indigenous students in my class. So whenever there was an indigenous topic, I was centered out, and majority of the time, the professor would never give me a heads up. And they would be like, oh, we're talking about residential school. Can we, what, what, what do you have to say, Tamara, about this? And it's kind of like, you don't realize 
what I have come through to even be here today, right? Yeah, it was your grandmother, right? So my my nokomis is was a survivor of the residential schools, mm -hmm. and then my mom was also part of the '60s scoops and okay. also was taking the wow. boarding schools. So I'm literally like first generation that has not been some type of institution that was very um, violent mm -hmm. and traumatic, right? Yes. yes. And so. When we think of those complexities, that invisible black backpack that many of us indigenous folk carry, not all, but many still mm -hmm. do, right? Um, it's important to recognize that even when we're pursuing these post-secondary education spaces that we do get centered out a lot or silenced. So when, when I did at the time, when I was at college and I was in my early 20s, I had somebody who did this phenomenal documentary, Kevin Annette, come in and because he revealed a lot of the hidden truth that was happening. He, he titled it Canada's Hidden Genocide. And this was back in 05 and 06, okay. before Harper did a public apology, before people were talking about it. I got red flag from that institution. I got sat down with the board. Mm -hmm. They were saying like, good luck trying to pursue post-secondary education because you have disrupted the community morale. Wow. And so I was ready to get kicked out of school. That was here? Um, no, okay. it was in Southern Ontario. All right. Yes. Ironically, I just recently won an award from that school mm. for a distinguished alumni. Okay. So I, I was very surprised when I found out um, that they wanted to give me this award. When so, I, yeah. so there's work being done. Now there's work being done at the time. So we're looking at an 05, 06, a lot of time. We were being silenced, yes. right? And even when Harper did his uh, short apology, if you even watch the video, it's mostly um, the Caucasian male behind him, right? Mm -hmm. Standing behind him. And so, it, and, and it's like, how authentic is that apology? Because it took a long time for even the truth reconciliation to move forward. That report didn't come out till 2015. Right. Yeah. I was, uh, Australia did it first, right? Because they had the same issues. Mm -hmm. I think they were a little bit advanced in that. Uh, Australia is, is very much so steps well maybe even okay. races ahead of us mm. in many many oh. different sectors especially there they have a amazing, amazing healing foundation like mental health supports and oh. um and so um when i think about that work and like me even pursuing my education and you reflecting like similar history of colonial violence and oppression in other countries um something really did ignite in me that I didn't want to be silenced. And I continued this work yes. um, by sharing my story. And I felt like I learned by sharing my story of my survival and my challenges. It's literally taken me, what, what year is it? 2022, the past year, recognizing the message I've been giving is um, how intimate the relationship is with land especially for Indigenous women, is related to our mental health okay. and our identity. So I've come to this space where I've learned to recognize my work as so intersectional in a way that I'm not just talking about missing and murdered anymore when I share my story. I'm talking about when I became a mother and me learning what does it mean to be a mom? Mm -hmm. Because I never really had that role modeled for me from my own birth mom. Yes. I never got to really learn about the roles of Indigenous womanhood. Yeah. You know, um, unpacking my own invisible backpack and what does that mean and not to um, be triggered or tr do my best to not relive certain situations, especially when it comes to parenting and me surviving certain things that happen in my household. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I learned that as intrinsically that's tied to the land because um, when my Nokoma shares her stories, it was always with the land with her mom. And it was a site of education. It was a site of secu food security, a site of financial security, a site of medicine and ceremony. Mm. And I come to realize that my role and responsibility, not realize, but I learned through teachings that, you know, water gives us first life. And it's my responsibility as a water carrier to how you carry water in my sacred womb, right? Yes. When we have life growing in it. Right. I'm a water protector. You hear about our indigenous women in the water walks and advocating right about 
protecting our water and our life sources because water gives us first life. Okay. When I think about first life, we have to think about those future children that are coming, but honoring those children that also never made it home from the residential schools, which is a heavy topic we have today, but also honoring those children that are now also in child welfare systems, which is higher than what is taken in residential schools. Wow. And then continue to honor because there's an overt representation of Indigenous women who are pregnant who are missing and murdered. Mm-hmm. And so it's my responsibility to, to really advocate on that intersectionality. It's more than just a body being taken. Okay. It's parenting, those children going in care, it's a disruption of knowledge and ways of living mm-hmm. in so many ways, right? Yes. So you, there's a lot to take away from there right now. So you, first I want to bring up, you know, breaking a circle is always the hardest. Like, like when things get passed on, and we all know they do. If you were the one who, who, who does it, it's one of the hardest thing. It's always easier to, to repeat, but breaking is, is the hardest. You know, it takes a lot and you are very strong that you do what you do. Uh, I'm absolutely looking up to you on that one. And the, that you just pointed out the other points, this is the wrong word, but like, I did not know about that. Like that, that's so unbalanced in not just you said foster care foster care is that the right word child welfare child welfare yeah i did not know that that is that's the same way as well that's brutal it's 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 scary because a lot of indigenous youth age out of care so when they turn 18 like and it's going to be the pipeline either to incarceration because they end up in these vulnerable spaces homelessness poverty Mm. And there's existing research that shows what they end up doing is bartering on the streets to get to find a source of food, find any source of financial security, a roof over their head. And more often than not, they do get sexually exploited, trafficked. Mm -hmm. And we cannot talk about um, missing and murdered Indigenous women without talking about human trafficking and how deeply rooted that is in child welfare and all those other intersectionalities I mentioned earlier. There was an article in the news somewhere about that lately, right? With Thunder Bay? I think. I, I'm, I don't know if it was. I think I saw something about that. But I don't recall it. Um, I know that recently there has been a call in regards about the seven youth inquest and the continuum of youth being um, murdered in the Thunder Bay district. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that there has been um, quite a few leadership stepping up and to call to action for our Thunder Bay police um, to take more pride and respect and say this is a human being, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so, and that's a whole other Topic. piece, which is also very connected to the work I do as well. Um, but again, there's that political political piece right Mm -hmm. and where we're currently situated here in thunder bay we have a unique history and i always share that when i offer so so the work i do although it's heavily research-based i've really come to um not just appreciate but honor understanding that my call is to be like a teacher like an educator Mm -hmm. Um, while my business, when it first started was so heavily like research consultation, like heavy, like government level type of work. Um, I've really now stepped back and looked at how can I support our services of our care, our frontline, those first responders, mm-hmm. um, because there's, especially in our area here where we live, our homelands, um, there is a need to be, there's, there's trauma informed and then there's indigenous trauma informed. And indigenous trauma informed varies by where you live, your geographical location, because that is learning the intimate, colonial, violent details and of oppression that's happened Mm -hmm. to the local indigenous peoples in your area. And that differs from geographical location to location. Sure, yes. Albus, and he's our seven-year-old, he know, you know, they in school now, they educate. I don't know exactly what they do what we do like he talks about it like he has questions and they know they talk about residential schools and they talk about 
and he has like he has this strong sense of like injustice and he doesn't like he, he really it takes him to ask us like what is happening there and then you know you can open up that communication with your kids and educate and bring that out and it helps the parent too right because some parents i don't know like maybe they need some brushing up too because if the kids ask the question then the parent has should answer mm-hmm so that's there there's a change in that i don't know if it's enough but i don't think it's ever enough like right you're you're right there is a change but you also have to remember like in 2017 or 2018 our government just shut down the trc curriculum writing mm. he just completely like we were all in toronto already landed to have our meeting and it was called off canceled like go back home the next day right or that evening flight mm. So there is still a lot of work that needs to happen because you can you can write and develop all the curriculum under the moon and the sun and the stars. But that does not change how that educator in the classroom feels comfortable with that content or how mm. to edu or how to teach it in a culturally safe and respectful way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there is layers to that. And, and it depends on the, the educator, how they deliver that, mm -hmm. because that heavily influences the understanding and perceptions of our children and youth. Right. Right. It does. The whole culture. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So if there's this notion from our national leadership to shut down such important work, how, what, what kind of message is that to our educators who may be non-Indigenous to also then pick up that work and teach it in that respectful and honoring way? Mm. But is the school board though, can the school board decide what to teach as well? Absolutely. So based on school board, and, and many school boards do have an Indigenous liais liaison um, that can offer that type of support. But more often than not, I have been finding that there is educators that say, um, I'm still uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I still don't know if I'm doing this the right way. I still don't know um, if I'm being respectful. Mm -hmm. And so I always kind of will, do you have relationships with a knowledge keeper and elder ah. locally? And they go, uh, well, how do I build that relationship? I go, well, how do you build that relationship? It's a good question. Let's talk about it, right? right? How are we ever going to move forward? And I said, you also have to, in that type of site of learning, you have to become comfortable that the elder and knowledge keeper will be the lead facilitator. And you might have mm. to step back and be creative with your curriculum outcomes and checkbox, how okay. it's getting meant. Yes. Right? It is when we think the medicine wheel and the four directions of our ways of being heart, body, mind, and spirit, it is us putting that square little checkbox that the ministry gives us and for it to fit in our circle. It's no longer us molding our circle to fit in their square. It is us leading the way. Okay. And it's and it's and it's time for educators who are allies and to be comfortable with allowing a knowledge keeper and elder to sometimes take the lead mm. in your classroom. Okay. Yeah, they bring them in then, right? Mhm. Mm okay. So that's happening? In some schools, yes. Okay. Yes. And when I, if I am called for that support, I will sometimes do that bridge of connecting and, mm -hmm. you know, or say, here's resources too of curriculum guides or here's learning tools, right? Yeah. How the kids then? Do they, how do, how do the kids react? It depends on the age group, but from my understanding is that there's always questions. Yeah. You know, even my son, he's in um, JK and he is a great teacher. Um, he's in a great school. And um, not that I'm saying other schools are not great, but I can mm -hmm. only speak you what feel I know. Comfortable there. Right? Right. Right. So um, they like, they really try. Like they, they had um, guest speakers. Oh. They had, they brought in a woman who brought in her drum. Mm -hmm. um, they also weaved orange heart in their outside, um, they're in their playground in the fence talking and honoring about the children that never made at home mm -hmm. while they wear the orange shirts and what that meant and how it was not a nice school, mm -hmm. right? And it didn't mean those kids were bad. That why, that's why they went to a not so nice school, but to understand it was because they were indigenous mm -hmm. and that this is something that their parents didn't have a choice about and they were very sad and that there's still a lot of indigenous boys and girls today that are very sad about it. 
Right. Right. Obviously, that's a JKSK level, you know. Yes, I understand. Tamara, how did you get so strong? How did I get so strong? That's <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's a very complex question to answer. I'm still working on again what is strong, right? Yeah. Um, let me answer that. It's um, you know, you do you talk in front of audiences. You share your culture. You share your history. You raise awareness, you challenge, and maybe that's too strong of a word, I don't know. But you do, you know, you, you, you pave a way. Like you said earlier, you didn't, you didn't stop mm -hmm. after you and somebody said something. No, you, you pushed on. Mm -hmm. Like that's all strong. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's defining strong for me. But like some people stop, other, other continue. What makes you continue? I, I feel like as I, so Mina de Boswin, The Good Life, is a lifelong journey, right? That's the teachings I received. Ah, okay. And I feel like um, in my early 20s and I reflect of my understanding of my intergenerational trauma, trauma and for, because for a long time before that, I was very angry mm. and I did act out in my teens in ways that were not healthy. And I mentioned my twenties substance misuse and promiscuity. Like, so I found that when I did finally learn to channel that anger in a way and to understand my family that they showed up the way they are, like their signs and symptoms of unresolved trauma and grief is because of a system that forced them to be mm -hmm. in these very oppressive and traumatic experience, very violent, right? Um, and that really shifted me in a way, and I'm still working on it to, it's not, I'm not going to say the word accept, but to be grateful they're still here, that they're alive, you know, yeah. um, regardless in some instances, the state of mind that they may be in. Right. So understanding is that too? Is that uh, perhaps a place of understanding, but maybe a, a, a place of peace? Oh, I found. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, yes. But I that still. That makes sense. I, I still work on it, um, and and I say that as in um, my nokamis, who I had a really close relationship with until. Um, a very traumatic experience happened with her and I and my auntie who passed away. Mm. Um, she asked me to end the life support for my auntie in the hospital. And that was not a prior conversation. So I was really put on the spot in front of the family. And for a, a, time, a period of time, some family members saying I killed my aunt, right? Mm. So it caused this distance between my nokamis and I. And we would still talk here and there, but not every day like we did. And I didn't know how to tell her how I was hurting from that. And unfortunately, she passed away before we could have that conversation. And, and I'm going to explain why I'm sharing this. And then, so she passed away in May last year. Mm -hmm. And my birth mother passed away exactly two months to the anniversary of her mother's death. So my no death in July. In June, between my no death and my mom so in june i ran into my birth mother and i haven't seen my birth mother probably since i was like in my early 20s at the time before that i, I think i was 13 when children's aid separated us okay and i didn't know it was my mom um i was going to a girlfriend's house i had to stop to get a bottle of wine and i stopped at an lcbo that i would never go to it's off of cumberland here across mm. from the mcdonald's right but it's because i was going towards the Nipigon area. Interesting. Yeah, so it was on my exit way. So I stopped there. And I, I'm one of those people, I believe everything happens for a reason. And, I, and so I was gonna drive off, like I got our bottle of wine to have our mom's date. And um, I saw this woman who was getting approached and it, like I could tell it was escalating. And I was like, oh my God. And this woman was tiny and frail. And these were bigger um, women that were that were very upset. And there was a man that was clearly intoxicated. And I, anyways, long story short, I, I approached the situation. I said like, you guys, like this is two on one, like, you know, and before I knew it, it was my mom. No. 
You know, my mom was the tiny one that was about to get beaten up. And um, it took her a second, too, to realize, like, holy shit, this is my daughter. And I'm like, holy fuck, this is my mom. <laughs> you know? And it was the first time, as I mentioned earlier, my, in my 20s and stuff, I was so angry, you know? Mm. First time I looked at her, I was not angry. And I wanted to help her. Interesting. And I could see in her eyes, like, she was very... You could tell she was sick, you know, mm. fighting with her demons. And, you know, I got her a McDonald's meal. Um, I did not feel safe um, for her to know my vehicle or anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It was just I've been protective, right? It's the first time seeing my mom. And and um, so I made sure she got in a cab safe and I gave the cab driver money and made sure she got where she needed to go. But that whole time when I was driving home now towards like Loon Lake Nipigon area, I, I couldn't stop but think like, is there a meaning, like a purpose behind this? Am I supposed to be helping my mom get sober now? Like, is this, so the first time in my life, since I was like 13 years old, I realized we are in the same geographical location. She's gonna, we're gonna run into each other. Thunder Bay is not huge. She's gonna meet her grandson finally, mm -hmm. you know? And I finally came to this piece where I started talking out loud. How do I come to meet my mom where she is at? I feel safe and she feels safe and start building this relationship. And the following month she passed away. You know, she was one of those in that month. We had, I think we had like 21 overdoses and my mother overdosed. Wow. And so um, it's almost like the creator, that good life, purposely put me in that situation to help me sit here and have this conversation and not be so emotionally charged because I continue that healing work. Mm -hmm. I've been turning that trauma into wisdom, you know, into learning and to be better and do better myself, but also those that I support and share story with to inform their practice, mm. right? Um, and so I share that because it's so important when we think about strength. Um, it, it, I, I thought I was good, and then that whole situation with my mom happened, and to this day, I'm still doing ceremony, and I'm still honoring her. Mm. Um, in my 20s, I was very about, we are more than murdered and missing. And now, as I continue to write about her and I'm working on my book, I'm now realizing um, I am not murdered, but parts of me are missing. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. It, not 100% like you experience it, but I understand what you're saying, right? And you, you, you saw her again. You saw her one more time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a crazy story. Yeah. And it's something every day I think about. It's something that I, when she did pass away, that I never thought the first time my mom would come into my home, like my home I bought where her grandson lives, mm -hmm. that she'd be an urn. Right. You know, so that itself... I've learned so much about my mom and how incredible of a woman she is after her death. Okay. Is there, is there a belief of afterlife in, in your culture? That, that varies. Um, some of the teachings I've, I've gotten that sometimes they do stay. Okay. They do stay with us until they feel they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that's some of the work that I'm doing right now um, because I have been gifted pieces of her from other people that said, your mom gave me this, or this is your mom's regalia, or this. So it's to me and working with elders and knowledge keepers, I'm learning that this is to help her, her spirit transfer over back to the spirit world. There's work that I have to do with her. And whether you realize it or not, that work itself is heavy for myself and it's heavy i'm sure for her witnessing and being you know in the spirit world or here um but to come back as something else 
reincarnation. No, I've never received any teachings about that, but I've been told they, they come and visit. They come in their own ways mm-hmm. and that they let you know when okay. they're visiting. There's yeah. little messages. There's little um, incidences, right? So mm-hmm. when we think about um, being strong, you know, I thought I, I had my shit together and then my mom died. That situation happened and that it was a gift in disguise. I didn't know it. Um, I was in heavy grief up until Christmas. I had a very hard time. Um, and I still have a hard time, but I shifted in a way to see the gift in this because it opened so many doors to deepen my healing um, and to deepen my practice on how to support those, especially women and youth who are falling through the cracks with substance misuse due to colonial violence and oppression. Yes. So the there's a lot of work to be done, and I said that before. But from your perspective, like we talked earlier about, you know, you could bring a knowledge keeper to the, the schools instead of a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. But what other things are good things we could do to help? Um, I kind of like started before about critically reflecting, like what is your relationship to the land, right? Mm. Is land balance? Pardon? Is it land balance? Does land give you balance? I believe it does. Yeah. I believe that, that the land um, balances us in our four directions of being our heart, body, mind, and spirit. Right. And is land, is land, and allow me all those questions because I'm just, I'm, I I'm, feel like asking and I hope it's respectful. This land like a, a life? Like mm-hmm. the, it's, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spirit? Is it like one being or what is it? Oh, it's so much. Ah. It's so much. The teachings I received, like, it's not only just living, but it's, like I said, like a site of intelligence that offers teachings. And it's a reciprocal relationships. As the teachings you receive from the land, you also have to give back in that honor and that acknowledgement. And that's different from, um, you know, you could put your tobacco down, your medicines, you could do prayers, you could. Um, so, for example, after my son, um, we had a successful safe birth passage with him. We planted his placenta back to the land mm-hmm. and planted a tree with it to let the creator know he's made it safe here into the physical world from the spirit world. And that's us mm-hmm. honoring. And we did a ceremony and our family members were there and we had a feast. Um, and those are just different ways. But I, I really believe that it's going to be very difficult for us to walk any pathways towards truth and reconciliation if we don't critically reflect what does the land mean to me and how does it inform how i show up not just for myself or for my family but for my own ancestors whether you're indigenous or not we all have ancestors right yeah and i think it's important for us for i encourage everybody to learn what are your ancestral lands and what does that land mean to you Mm. and and to think and to learn that you know so often when we do uh, land acknowledgement, it's like a token or like a political agenda. And the teachings I've been given um, when we are visitors, it's so important when we're doing a land acknowledgement to share what your ancestral lands are and what they mean to you. And then your intention and purpose of why you're here on their ancestral lands, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, like I said, like a, a checkbox of a, off of agenda, but it's important because then Indigenous peoples or that community or nation will understand your intentions because far too often when visitors came, they were there to take the land. And to take the land, they do so by starting to take the children and women. All right. Right? And so there's a lot of work to understand the intimacy of that, that, like that relationship that we have with the land. Mm-hmm right to meet that common ground and then from there for them because when we when they can understand and acknowledge that relationship with the land then they're starting to acknowledge our ways of being and our our ways of knowing our our worldview yes i almost feel like you know when you identify with the land then you truly become yourself like you can only be successful if you identify with where you are you know in that mindset i don't just live here but i also this is my home and this is where I feel connected and I want to know more about it because then really you settle the roots down and they mm-hmm. go into the ground, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. That's at least how I would think about it. And so when I think of the work um, 
that I do when I mentioned earlier about there's being trauma-informed and then there's indigenous trauma-informed. I always ask those questions with our service providers. Like, what does the land mean to you? Mm-hmm. How does it inform your pra- inform your practice? And I mean it at an individual level, like in your personal life, because the land is therapeutic, right? And then I say, because if you are in services of care, you can only take those that you're helping as far as you have come. And if you're not working on yourself... Yes. And you don't have that relationship with the land, especially if you're a helper to support. And I like to use the word or concept umbrella, or I mean, helper as an umbrella term for for child, child like family and child wellness, mental health, um, even our front like nurses, doctors. We're all helpers in all different shapes and forms, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're being helpers in the field or like social work and with indigenous individuals, um, if we don't walk with the land with them, we don't walking along with them. How how will we ever come to know and understand to walk with them if we don't do that work ourselves and investigate what that relationship is? So I always start with the land because I truly believe that's the foundation to to gauge, at least start getting your toe dipped into the world of understanding indigenous knowledges, mm. right? And worldview and lenses, right? Um, it's just so critically important. And I also say that helped inform your practice to truly authentically address the whole intersectionality of violence and oppression that Indigenous people face from trying to get their basic human needs mm-hmm. in society. Right. Um, and when I say Indigenous trauma, it's because Indigenous peoples have experienced certain types of trauma based on their race, Right. They were sent to residential schools. There were 60 scoops, missing right. and murdered, right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's unbelievable, really. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yes. Like it, you cannot even imagine it, but it, it happened. Mm-hmm. I know. And then, you know, kids try to escape to get home in the winter, and then they froze to death right in the snow. And before they even got home or before the school captured them back, it happened. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I know. That's like this is this came up when we talked with Albus, because you know they those kind of stories were shared there too, and like why why does that happen and why did it happen and like what can we do now to make things can you make things right is that possible you cannot change it right it happened mm-hmm. but like. What would be what would be the solution? Not making peace with it, like, but educate, be respectful. What do we need to do? That's a very loaded question, and that varies from community to community. Like I said, the geographical location, and you know, and we and we kind of talked about earlier about the Seven Youth Inquest and the continuum of violence here and and deaths in our in our city of Thunder Bay. But the reason being is that violence is so deeply rooted in our city due to the nature when the Hudson Bay trade here was here flourishing, the commercial fishing, the logging, mm-hmm. more often than not, it was not just the children and, and indigenous individuals that were being taken from the communities to be sent to these schools, but they were used for the industrialization. Okay. And it normalized human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Whether you were in like so that normalization of us and them between and that they are lesser than us is a mindset that's been happening for centuries, okay. right? And so when, for us to truly understand Indigenous trauma situated where we're right here, right now, we need to truly understand that history. And so perhaps uh, that's the beginning. Okay. But to then to understand it is the only way to address that huge intersectionality of complex, various forms of violence and oppression that is happening to Indigenous peoples. Good point. I like that. I feel like parents have a big job too. For sure. Right? Because you know, you in a way, it's like you're a gardener when you have kids. This is a very abstract model. But you know, you, you take care and you, you grow and you also shape, right? As a parent, you are a very strong influence mm-hmm. on kids. So I feel parents have a huge responsibility to change. I feel that's very important. And sometimes that's not easy, I guess. Or it's easier not to change than to change. <laughs> yeah, it, it's difficult when 
if what you've been taught in school isn't accurate. Yeah, even though if you taught, you got it taught it. Yeah, in school you're right. But even if your parents were people that are orientated differently, mm -hmm, all right, exactly. and then they pass it down, they tell you stories, and mm -hmm. you as a child you just absorb. Mm -hmm. Because kids, they they love anybody. Like a kid, a true two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, they just love anybody. Mm -hmm. You go take them out for a walk, they wave at you and say, hi. There's no judgment. It's just pure. And I think that's, I feel like that's, uh, that's a good point where I see myself shaping the next generation that we raised Lisa and I together, where I, I feel like I can make a difference. You know, and even with the podcast too, we can mm -hmm. talk about it and people listen to it. And there's like, I think today was, is an episode where we really got to know more, you know, we had Zongwe Beniskawe on, we had <sighs> Damien was here, uh, he's crow creator on Instagram. I forgot his last name. I go with the handles, but it's just, there's, there's a lot of knowledge, but I feel like you've rediscovered a lot and it's your profession, obviously. And you do the Ted talks and you help people and you're writing a book now. Yes. So I, I can we talk about this real quick? <laughs> sure. All right. So I feel like that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are you working on? I'm working on sharing the narrative of, of, being an indigenous woman that carried that invisible backpack of unresolved trauma and grief, but continue to, while I was trying to pursue my education and navigate our society to get that job, to get food security, um, how that backpack got heavier. Mm. And then you add the complexities of my mom's death and my Nokomis's death. And finally learning about who my great-grandmother was, Jane, who um, my Nokomis and I honored in my master's thesis at the time. Right. And I wrote other pieces off of that research engagement. Um, and how that informed my identity, right? So it's, it's really to emphasize, like I mentioned earlier, like I am not murdered. But parts of me are missing. And I think it's so important for society to understand what that means for Indigenous women mm -hmm. and how for us to even find, to reach our basic human needs is such a pursuit. Okay. It's every day we're faced with violence, an obstacle, discrimination, sexism, racism, right? So I share my life story in that and I share snippets of interactions that's happened in my life for instance the relationship i was in before the family thought it was appropriate to give me a headdress on christmas morning and they didn't realize how hurtful and racist that was while they were laughing and filming me opening this gift but because they came from such a privileged non-indigenous family they were very privileged in southern ontario here and to me although i was in their eyes like a successful you say Indian because I thought they would call me because I didn't fit the stereotype. We are still faced with so much. Just because I'm not on the streets does not mean we're not facing other forms of violence and discrimination and racism and sexism in other sectors and spaces, right? So that's basically what my book is about. Being an Indigenous woman that's carrying this very heavy backpack mm -hmm. of intergenerational trauma and grief and and trying to share her truth and story and get pursue education and pursue a career. And these are the various forms of violence and oppression I'm faced with. Yeah. So it's like um, a chronicle how you got to today in a way. Yes. But also like a healing journal because I share um, reflective pieces into it in little like bubbles. Like so you're. Oh, yeah. And like nice. there's like photos. So it's very it's very personal. It's very artistic. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm, I, I'm writing it in the way as if you think we're having a conversation. Right. With yourself. Yes. Yes. And like, so what you might read in chapter 10 may reference what I first faced in chapter two in my learning ah. and how you might hear me 
being angry in chapter two from that situation and saying awful things and acted in unhealthy ways. And then in chapter 10, you see, this is actually the learning I got from that. I like that. And this is how I'm turning it. Right. And then I also share then because me being a researcher, I say there's other indigenous women writers who had similar experiences and I share like reference them and cite it. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, it's been a labor of love. I've dedicated my academics. I'm currently in the doctoral program at Lakehead University as well. I'm a PhD student. Um, I've dedicated my career. I started my small business that I share that has the past year changed to really focus on on training and re- I've always been research. I've been writing different research report reports regionally, provincially, and nationally. Um, but we really honed in on training this past year because mm. um, there has been an increased need. I think maybe because of the momentum of those little bodies being recovered from the sites that they're going, we need to do something. Maybe we do need to get more training to really understand what is Indigenous trauma. Yes. And so um, I've really shifted from us instead of being crisis first response because um, that's what we were years ago um, on top of research and consultation. We're very much now training and, and I'm happy to say we're training right now prov- province wide. It's perfect. And um, and this work I've been doing for, like I said, over a decade before I moved here, before I got my spirit name. So 2015, 2016. Um, and I actually didn't register my business up until I think it was like 2018. And so it was something that was very strongly encouraged from the government sector. It's me being behind the curtain writer and our being a consultant. And they said, once I have a registered business and everything that um, I could apply for more grants and this and that and build capacity. And so that's the momentum when we got. And so when in 2019, when I won our Nova award, mm-hmm. I was so surprised because it was only one year that my business was like running like licensed. But I think that speaks volumes in our community, recognizing the work I've done prior to becoming a licensed registered Uh, business. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's been truly an honor. And I believe that uh, me coming back home is um, to deepen my practice and deepen my knowledge and deepen my healing itself. Because like I said, you can only take those as far as you've come yourself. When you... You know, you talked about elders, you talked about seers, and in your description, it also says storyteller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about Shining Eagle Woman. And interesting side fact, with pre-show, we talked about your, the, the Tamar Kuei, and that's the word for woman, right? Kuei in Ojibwe is the word for woman, yes. Yes. Where do you see yourself? Like, do you... Do you think about that ever? Like what you mean to other people and like where you can take what you do in a, like within you? Um, I mean, before I had um, a child, I used to always say that I wanted to be like the first indigenous woman government, like premier, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know if that's gonna happen. Um, <clears throat> now I'm just happy to just like even me writing this book and I and I reflect on my youth, like when I was in like grade 11 and 12, like there was dark spaces in my life because obviously those were before I went away for college um, that I did consider hurting myself or ending my life, right? And so when I think about the book I want to write, um, I want it to be accessible, especially for the Northern communities that have crisis of suicide among our youth right mm-hmm. and um and so i think about how i want to volunteer and give my books away for free in those locations and especially free to especially my treaty to all primary and secondary schools mm-hmm. for them to be accessible and it's free ebook and then obviously general public to purchase right yes so i think when i share though that raw thought processes that I'm taking out of my diaries and journals from my youthhood and putting them in my book. I hope that if it's just one person that reads that and it changes their mind of their self-worth and self-love, that that makes the whole world difference to me. Okay. And, um, and for them to recognize, especially our women, that they are more than murdered and missing. 
that you are this beautiful, wise, brilliant woman and you have so much gifts and wisdom to share with the world. And it may be tough right now, especially when we think about the representations that are about Indigenous women in mainstream, in mainstream media or what is written in often textbooks that are so dishonoring. Um, and I share that in a little bit of my research that's out there, how I struggle to find accurate portrayals and knowledge in existing research because it's so inhumane. And um, so when we think about that, it's very complex being a young Indigenous woman when you're trying to learn about yourself when you're in perhaps in unhealthy environments on top of that. And so if my book encourages that thinking to shift that, to recognize our, our inner truth matters and our voice matters and that, you know, sleep on it, wake up tomorrow and start again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all that matters. That's my goal right now. I don't know where that will lead me. I don't know... Um, yeah, I'm kind That's of, good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that because it leaves everything open. Mm-hmm. I like that very much. That's a really good answer. That's a 10 out of 10. <laughs> you know, because if you set your path for a certain goal, then you might not see anything else. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I, say, I like that a lot. Tamara, oh, I was up. Okay. We, we, I we, talked forever. Sorry. We, no, you did amazing. <laughs> I, I love it. I couldn't like, we got to do this again. Maybe when you launch your book, mm-hmm. I don't know how soon or before, whatever you want to do. I would be honored to learn more and like sh- get more sh- from you to be shared, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm very much honored tonight. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And um, it's my first podcast. So I was like, woohoo. Yes. <laughs> Shut that off the bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> everybody have a good night subscribe and like and we got there's two comments here and i've listened so much to you what you said claudette and jamie mm. there you go tamara so is amazing papa says my mom okay thank me good claudette and me good jamie i was thinking of you and i did my makeup there you go i was like you can do this you can do this <laughs> <laughs> she usually beautifies me. She's a uh, she's a, such an amazing human, and yeah, yeah I love her. <laughs> she's awesome. Okay, have a good night, everybody. Me much. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. There we go.